Welcome to the WTF IDK podcast, where we are owning the uncertainty of adulthood. I am your host, Chris, and together we will explore situations life throws at you and how to handle them like a badass. Please be sure to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on all social media at WTF IDK pod. This is episode two, Reworking the Dream. So in this episode, I sat down and had a conversation with a good friend of mine, Coach Otis Ridley. He and I worked together uh, teaching high school, and he came on the show to talk to us about what happens when your plan A does not pan out. So for this episode, we're not going to go into our usual segments. We're going straight into the interviews. So take some time out, listen carefully to what we're talking about. It's a lot of information to get and enjoy. All right, so our sensei of uncertainty today is Coach Otis Ridley. So let's go ahead and get started. Gonna ask you my favorite icebreaker. In the movie of your life, what is the theme song? Uh, man, that's a good one. That really is a good one. I guess I would have to say uh, Frankie Beverly and Mays, Golden Time of Day. What? Yeah. That is like my favorite song of theirs. I didn't know this about you. Yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm a big Frankie Beverly and Mays fan. I love Man, it. the first time I heard that song, I was at a Jackson State Southern game with my godparents. Really? And it was the sun was going down and Southern started playing. And it was, I was like, is this, is this Jesus? Yeah, man. Like, it was, it was good. It, it, that's one of those songs where at any point, you know, you, you listen to a song like that, it just puts you in the, the right headspace, you know? That's that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, pushing the right headspace. Now Ooh. I'm gonna watch that movie talking about golden time of day. All right. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and uh tell the people about who you are from your point of view. Uh well, I mean, like you said, my name is Coach Otis Ridley. I never thought I would have coach in front of my name. That was not the original plan. But here we are, you know. But <laughs> 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 so with that being said, um I'm a I'm a Jackson native. Uh, born and raised in Jackson, uh, love the city of Jackson with all my heart, love the children of Jackson. Um, a lot of the things I do even to this day, I try to do it with the mindset that I want to help those kids in Jackson um, get better at whatever it is they want to do. So. All right, so you started out, um, we met when you were head coach over at Provine High yep, School, yep. and where are you now? Uh, now I'm at Colian, uh Kapile Lincoln Community College, um, just it's just south of uh, Jackson in Western Mississippi. So what do you do there? Uh, I'm an assistant football coach, offensive line coach, uh, something I really love doing. That's my – if, you know, you have a professional expertise, yes, I'm a football coach, but my expertise is offensive line play. And you know I have no idea what that means. Yeah, but moving on, <laughs> so you said it yourself, you never thought that you would have coach in front of your name. And so today we're talking about what happens when plan A – doesn't pan out and how you have to regroup. Yeah, so let's go back to high school. Cool. When you were in high school, where did you think you would be at this point? Because, you know, you're early 30s now. So yeah. at 17, 16, what did you think you're going to be doing now? Uh, making lots of money. Um, you know, hopefully was playing pro football, doing it. But uh, just making lots of money. That's You know, you don't really have a clear vision at that time. <laughs> but you just knew, hey, man, just 30, wanted, I'm going to be banking. Just you know? wanted to be paid. Yeah, but um, – I mean, that's, you know, I, I thought about being a physical therapist, you know, early on. And just over time, things evolved. And, you know, I turned to a coach, and I was actually good at it. And so I stuck with it, you know. 
And yeah. It's, I'm getting better. It's always a work in progress. I mean, it is, it is. So you wanted to be a physical therapist. Yeah. I, I, oh. That was many moons ago. So was this before or after you uh, went to state? It was before I went to state. So before you went to state, you you were kind of maybe going to play professional football or what? Well, I mean, uh, if you get an opportunity to play in the SEC, you have a chance of making it to the NFL. You have a legit chance. Uh, but, you know, we'll get into it in a minute. You know, that plan B sometimes gets expedited. And so that's kind of what happened with my career. Gotcha. I mean, because I just assumed that you knew that you were going to the NFL because everyone I've ever <laughs> talked uh, to about you said right. he was going to the pros. And I was yeah. like, oh, snap, really? Nah, I, uh, I, trust me, I would be the last person to, <laughs> to, 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 I guess, toot that horn. But, I mean, I tried to be a solid <laughs> football player. I tried to be a solid player, but, I mean, it just didn't work out that way. All right, so since we're, since we're on subject, yeah. go ahead and give people the quick rundown of what did happen. So you left Provine, you went to State, and what was that What was that you were named, the, the freshman what? What uh, well, was it? Yeah, I was <laughs> – wow. Uh, yeah, so I made the all-NCC freshman team. So you made the all-NCC freshman – see, I'm going to make you – Southeast Air Conference. Yeah, go ahead and say it and be proud with a smile. Yeah. Nah, it's cool. We, nah. Have, we have to toot this horn at least, at least sometimes. Nah, nah but no, nah, it was cool. I, I did uh, my freshman year, uh, had a great freshman year there, made the all-NCC freshman team, uh, which is pretty prestigious. Um, I mean, your best freshman in the league make it, so that was a good deal. And, uh, I mean, that's – that's kind of the rap on that one. So, like, freshman, you just, like, forget football and you just threw. Oh, no. I mean, go ahead. Lay it all the way oh, yeah, out for Okay, it. so, yeah. So, technically what happened, um, made all see freshman freshman team, came back the next year. Uh, I mean, getting ready to go. Well, not even coming back the next year. I made the all see freshman team the same year. I uh, dislocated my ankle and broke my fibula. And uh, I broke my fibula and dislocated my ankle against Vanderbilt. And so that kind of ended my my season early. Uh, I think that was like game seven. And so to make it on a short season as well was pretty significant. So I thought, you know, man, the sky's the limit. I'm going to rehab. Um, and at this point is when I really started hating physical therapy. Uh, because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, just the amount of time you have to put in the rehab, the work to get back to what you were as an athlete. And so – Came back the next year, which is my third year in Mississippi State Redshirt, uh, sophomore year. And um, we're at game five or six, and we're playing the University of Harvard out of Alabama, of course. And, um, and you know, I'm blocking uh, normal duties, doing my job, and I just – I hear what sounds like a loud gunshot. And, I, of course, you know, ain't nobody shot in the stadium, but it's what it sounded like. And I uh, felt an instant burning sensation in my knee. And so I went to the sideline, and, um, you know, I told my coach, you know, like something going on with my knee. You know, I'm trying to walk, and it kept kept catching. You know, it wasn't a fluid walk. And so, you know, being in the league that you're in, there's no, it's no pity. it's no remorsefulness. I mean, either you can do it or you can't. Yeah. And that's what, you know, football kind of teaches you. And so, you know, they tried to put me back in the game. I actually went back in the game for a couple of plays. What? But the knee kept it – wouldn't, it wouldn't act right. So I came back out. Uh, went to the to the um, hospital that next morning to get an MRI. Uh, had a torn ACL and um, torn meniscus, and so that was, I mean, complete, that was the second year in a row, same leg. Um, so pretty much every part of that leg had been injured. It seemed like, and so fast forward, uh, rehabbing from that, coming back from that, um, 
I mean, it was a long, long road because I was still kind of recovering from the previous year's injury. Yeah. And so it was a long road back. And um, I came back out that spring getting ready for my redshirt junior year. And for better or worse, you know, uh, me and Coach Kroom had a had a solid relationship. Sylvester Kroom, which is, you know, I want to make sure I mention he was the first black SEC head football coach. So it was an honor playing for him. But uh, we had our differences. And um, he wanted me to do some things that mentally I was not ready for uh, coming off the amount of surgeries I had. Yeah. And so he wanted to rush me back, and I just, I mean, um, I had gained enough knowledge and enough insight about myself as a person at that time to where I knew uh, what I wanted to do, and I wasn't going to let anybody compromise that. And um, so we had a, you know, difference of opinion on it, and so I just told him I'd take a medical red shirt, and I, I you know, not that I didn't want to play football anymore, but... I wasn't going to let him affect my life 20 years down the line yeah. for, you know, what I felt like was his own personal game. But long story short, never saw the football field again. And uh, that's kind of what led to the coach being in front of my name. Uh, and, I, you know, I know you might have another question in between this and, you know, you know what I'm going to say. But basically, I, I stopped playing football, and I had, I had a void in my life. And I love football to death. I mean, anybody who knows me knows pretty much my name is synonymous with a football. So, I mean, it was kind of hard letting it go. And um, that plan B deal, it's a real deal. I mean, for athletes, it's a lot of athletes that go through uh, mental illness. I'm not saying that I had mental illness, but I did struggle. I had a bout of depression transitioning from SEC athlete to just a normal dude. And so, with that being said, I mean, the plan B has to be – it has to be on the back of your mind all the time. It does. So, you have hit, like, five really good points. And I'm going to try to recap really quickly. Because you said when you were talking to your coach that you knew what you were trying to do and you weren't going to let anybody, not right. even just him, anybody put you in an, on another path. And so, we've already talked about on the show being self-aware because you have to know where you are. Exactly. And then the last episode, we're talking about the power of no. So you 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 are on the way. You like nah. you checking off these boxes. That's, That's good what deal. I'm talking about. But another thing, I gotta commend you for saying publicly that you went through depression. Yeah, because definitely. we're we were just talking about this. We're coming off of Kate Spade yeah. and Anthony Bourdain committing suicide, and we still are in a situation in this country to where you can't openly say you're depressed. Right. Definitely. Or even you, you know, you can't even have too many bad days because people judge you, you know, right. for, for having emotions. Right. And by you being a man and an athlete that plays, that I still say role. plays, present yeah. tense football, yeah. I mean, that that's that's something. I'll say this. Um, and you know, me and your husband are really good friends, and he'll, he'll share this with you. Uh, I went through about where I was trying to figure out some things once I stopped playing football what was I going to do to occupy my time? Yeah. And I did some things that I enjoyed but were out of character for me and what I wanted to do as a person. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, moving forward, I look back on those things, they prepared me to be where I I am today. So, you know, I I started throwing parties. And and I'm just being straight (laughs) up with y'all. Like, we were banging, you know. I think you came to my party right now. Jack Mile, you know. And uh, good friends, man. You know, Kyra's and Rod and Akbar, just shout out to them guys. But 
uh, we were throwing some banging parties. Hattiesburg, Starkville, we had like a tour going. Had, the, fo- had the folks just ready. Yeah, we were balling. I mean, it was fun. But not nah, just all kidding aside. Um, but I was doing that, and it was cool. I was with my boys. We were having fun. But in the grand scheme of life, that might that wasn't necessarily my calling card. Yeah. But when I look back on it, it prepared me going forward for what I'm doing now because it made me a great organizer of people. And uh, I think it helped kind of lead me to become a better leader of men, ultimately. All right. So because you do, um, you know, work with, we call we always call them kids, which were teachers. Right. Um, but even the guys that you coach now are actually technically adults. Right. So you working with them and I've seen you as a coach, as a head coach, and something that you always did that blew my mind was you focused on the mental health of the players. Back when you were running a summer camp for Provine High School, you actually had a therapist come in and talk to your players. So, and that was something I'd never heard of. (laughs) I I mean, I know therapy is important. We know therapy is important. And we know dealing with the kids that we uh, serve, they often have issues that are far greater than school or any sport or anything. So... How did you come to that place where you were comfortable enough to say, we need this help as athletes to call someone in, you know, to come in and help the kids? Because that's still, I'm, I'm still harping on that you, you know. Well, no, nah, well, a couple of things. The first thing is everything I do as a head coach is built off the experiences I had as a player, mm-hmm. uh, good or bad. And so one of the things that I've always championed myself on was, to be a coach that understood that players are still human beings who are not um, to be controlled by me 24-7, you know, 24-7, um, 365. You know, so yeah. just giving them the freedom to basically express themselves without without the reverence of me, you know, of a coach, you know what I mean, having to, having to guard their words around me. You know, so you bring in people who they can relax around. You know, even a guy like Mel, you know, and I, I mean, him being around the program, those type of people, our kids seeing great examples of how to be good men. You know, whatever role you play in life, you can be a good dude. Yeah. And that's kind of what we base everything off of, just being good dudes. So, I mean, the whole mental health aspect, major part of it. And then with my wife being a mental health professional, uh, she does not play about me involving that aspect of my program. I mean, she wants us to be proactive. Um, we're making sure our kids know how to get mental health, you know, mental health help. And yeah. So that's that's major. All right. So going back to you coming to the realization that you were not playing football, how did you go about changing your path? I mean, what were your grades like? Were you that athlete that didn't go to class? Did you go to class? Did you have a plan B already established? Or were you just, hey, they're paying for me to go and I'm going to enjoy this while it's here? So so now we're getting a little deep, you know. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to be straight up with you, world. I'm going to be straight up with the world today. And so in high school, I was a 3.5 plus type GPA guy. I go to college and my first, you know, it's first experience. Mom ain't checking the report card. I'm just kind of free, free living, you know, at the, on somebody else's dime, you know, and <laughs> I didn't, I didn't care. I mean, I, I really didn't. I had lost my way academically. I did just enough to stay in school, you know, yeah. um, 
got the round by 2.0, 2.3, and then I said, oh, my, you know, I'm not a dummy, you know, <laughs> let me tighten up a little bit. And so the the deeper I got off into my college education, the more serious I got. And I think that's what a lot of, a lot of you know, people that age, you know, you go to college in that first year, and you're not under mom and dad's care. You tend to party a little bit too much. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and so as time went by, I got more serious, but, man, person I was raised to be academically was not the person I showed up on Mississippi campus, Mississippi State's campus being, so. Yeah, I feel that. So, okay, so you, your grades weren't together. Right. You can't play. What What did you do? How did you get to the point to where you are now? Because you were able to graduate, and what's your degree in? Uh, educational psychology. So you have a degree, so that means you went to somebody's class. Yeah. How did, how did you go about coming up with your plan B? Uh, well, I guess the first thing I started with was uh, doing something that I was happy with doing, something I could wake up for the rest of my life and do. If I could never grow into another role, could I be an assistant coach for the rest of my life and be happy? I could. I could. I really could. Do I want to do that? No. Not technically, no. But – you know, when you find a job that you really enjoy, I know everybody heard it, you never work another day in your life. And you can ask people who know me, uh, my wife especially, uh, it's nothing for me to be up at 3 o'clock in the morning working yeah. when it comes to football. Now, if you put educational psychology in front of me, I'm not going to work, work at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and so that part of it, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't look at football as work, and a lot of people don't, but it is a lot of work. So while coaching, have you seen some of those same traits that you saw in yourself when you were, you know, said student's age and your current players? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's scary, you know, <laughs> it, because now, you know, you have the ability to kind of reflect and, and, and know what's going on in the kid's brain because you've been there and you're able to stop a lot of stuff that could potentially happen. You know, kids, I'm going to be honest with you, uh, our freshman class just showed up on campus five days ago and some kids by the time they were you know through with their first day of workouts I mean they wanted to pack those bags and get out of there you know and they wanted to go home and it's rough for young men to leave mama and daddy where they've been not necessarily pampered but where they have been um, I guess I mean taken care of for the most yeah. part and now you you wake up and it's another dude over there and you, you you didn't know him prior to yesterday. Yeah. And that's a that's a major culture shock for a lot of these kids. And uh, you know, I'm not I'm not saying I'm an expert on millennials, but I do know this: millennials, because I have one, uh, don't care for spending time in other people's houses. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just being real. So and what I mean by that, they are they are more reclusive than we are. Yeah. You know and. They're more private than we are. And so what happens when it comes to football, so I can tie this all in together, those kids, when they come to us and they are not used to uh, interacting with others, they usually lock themselves in those rooms and they can go into a dark place. Yeah. And so being able to kind of know the signs of that is major. Um, the only reason, I, you know, I tell people all the time, the reason I'm a college coach is because I know how to deal with the mental of a kid. If I was just coaching X and O's, I'd still be coaching high school football. But because I know how to deal with the mental, the mental health of kids and how to make them play a lot harder and a lot 
a lot tougher than what they may think they are, that has helped my career progress. But at the end of the day, it's all about those kids. And, I mean, that's why I love doing what I do because anytime I tell people I'm, I'm in one of the few professions, and teaching is like this as well, but I'm in one of the few professions where I can see marked growth daily. Yeah. You know what I mean? So anytime you can sit there and look at a kid, and I don't care if you're looking at his physical, if you can tell by the way he answers certain questions now, if you can tell by the way he finishes a workout, you are seeing growth out of that kid. And so that's what makes me enjoy what I do so much because every day I'm making somebody else's child better, you know, and that's fun. All right, so it's been 10-plus years since you yourself started school. Right. And... You know, football is still football, but what changes have you seen with your players coming uh, from where you were and where they are? Because one thing that I know that we have complained about as teachers is that our high school students think that getting a million dollars or getting signed or getting drafted or getting whatever is easy. Right. <laughs> and it's not. That's so what right. do you see uh, from the coach's standpoint? Uh, well... In comparison, I, I do think that the generation today thinks that they have the chance to make it, and they think it's valuable, and they think uh, that it would happen. And I commend them for that. I mean, they should. That That's is such a nice way to say entitled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I commend them for I mean, they sh but at the end of the day, you know, you want kids that be confident. Yeah. And especially our young black men. We have to carry ourselves a certain way, and you have to be confident. So with that being said, um, kind of tying the question back in, some of the things I see in my kids today uh, more so than I did in the times past. The question, when I give a directive, I hear the question, why, a little more frequently than I would have given it out yeah. 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. And Some if – yeah, definitely, definitely. Like Coach Collins, yeah, Coach Collins wouldn't go for that, like at all. Like, I mean, my five-year-old questions us and tells us no, and my mom and my in-laws look at us like, "What was that word exactly. that we've never heard before that you exactly. said?" Exactly. And I'm like, "Y'all, he's he's just communicating. It's okay." And and you know what? And they are communicating, but I think it's important that we continue to teach them as a way to do it, as a way to communicate. Because I'm going to be honest with you, no sir and yes sir, yes ma'am and no ma'am have got me so far in life. Yeah. And I know it's a term where it may have some negative connotation where it came from, but it doesn't have to be that way now. It's just respect. I don't care if you're talking to a 10-year-old, yes ma'am, you know, yes sir. It, it makes them feel a certain way about themselves. Definitely. And so when you talk about dealing with athletes, I just, man, confidence in an athlete. If I talk to an athlete any kind of way, I demean him and I never build him up, I mean, how can he truly go out and perform at 110% for me? Yeah. When in the back of his mind, he know he's playing for a dude that don't care about him. But if I can go and, and tell this athlete and show this athlete with my actions that, hey, uh, I care about your home life. I care about what you're eating. I care about your homework, what you're doing in the classroom, outside the classroom, your girlfriend. I care about all that. I want to know, not because I want to be intrusive on your life, but because I want to help you. And them cats, man, they, they, kids respond so well to that still to this day. But I cannot stand to hear people say kids have changed. Kids have changed. I mean, 
They're doing the way the same we yeah, the did. way the way we operate in the world has changed, yeah. so it's forced the kid to adapt. Yeah, I don't think that's change. I don't think adaptation is necessarily change. No, change is change is when I am one thing and I completely go to the other extreme. That's change. I, that's how I feel about. It. But adaptation is I want to live my life, and I see that I can't necessarily wear bell bottoms anymore, so I'm gonna wear the skinny jeans. I still got pants on. <laughs> right? I adapted to my surroundings. I still got pants on. So I don't have a problem with that kid asking me why. Because guess what? I know he's trying to get a better understanding of why we're getting to this solution. If he understands the steps to get to the solution, then maybe later on when I'm not around, he can better control himself to understand how to make decisions for himself. Because yeah. I answered the why today. And I mean, to their credit, I will say, I've never been asked a question by any of my students that I myself had not asked when I was their age. Right. Except, like you said, we were too afraid to ask. Exactly. We were not given the room or the permission to ask. And we joke about um, younger, the young women and men, because sometimes I call them millennials, sometimes I don't. But um, we talk about them being more vocal. Right. And a lot of times it's being taken as being rude. But we're living in a world to where, as parents, you know, we're super focused on the bottom line. I'm focused on making sure you have somewhere to stay, you have some food, and you have clothes. And a lot of times that means I'm asleep at 8 o'clock yeah. or 9 o'clock. Exactly. And we may or may not have had a real conversation at this moment in time. Exactly. So it's kind of like sometimes they're asking us these questions and they're bucking against us because they want to be heard and seen. Yeah. And let me share this with you while I'm thinking about it. It's one of those deals where the kids, the kids in the world today are, I mean, you hear it all the time, they are future but really they are right now. Because if we don't start planning our lives around these kids and how we handle them, how we interpret how they feel, how we communicate with them, what do you think is going to happen in the next five to ten? It, it ain't got to be It doesn't have to be that long. It ain't got to be that long away. You know, you see school shootings and stuff going on more frequently every every week, you yeah. know. Like kids are struggling and it's because they're not getting their wise answers. Yeah. Like you said, you know, so uh, I mean, and I'll even take it, you know, to a lighter level of that. Everybody complains, you know. I have a lot of friends that are single, yeah. and they're upset that all the men in the dating pool are F-boys. And they're like, well, how did they get that way? Their mama didn't raise them like that. And it's like, she did, because when emotional intelligence was being taught, he didn't catch that lesson. Exactly. When it was express yourself and be honest and be forthright the first time, that conversation happened. He didn't catch it. Yeah, you're right. So it's, right. you know, it's not, hey, you know, you fine, but I'm really not but interested. I, you know. I must say this. I must say this, and um, and hear me good. I had this conversation with my wife literally this morning, and we were talking about my uh, my stepfather. And me and my stepfather, I mean, I don't mind putting it on wax. We, I mean, he did a phenomenal job being a stepdad, but he did not shape me as a man. I respect him for what he did in my life, but he didn't shape me as a man. You know, I, I felt like my experiences ended up shaping me into the man I am. But I will say this. My stepfather was the type of person who did not give me the answers to any of my whys. And I felt like my development as a man was stagnated because I never got those questions answered. And our generation, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, I feel, like I, I feel like our generation was never comfortable enough in most households to go to mom and dad to ask the why question 
And so even now as adults, when we're around our bosses, around authoritative figures, we struggle with asking the why question. And it gets us in trouble even in our workplace today because we weren't trained on how to communicate the right way to get the right answer when we need the wise answer. I hope I didn't make that experience. No, that was it. Like, I'm, 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 that was good. I'm, that's that's going to go on a social media thing. <laughs> I need some pictures because the picture online is you looking like you going to church, like you the deacon. We're not doing funny. deacon pictures. That was funny. We're doing like. Well, I was just, I was, I was kind of just showing off my weight loss, you know. No, you good. Yeah. You oh, good. you oh, talking about the one at Colin? Yeah. Now you put that one compared to some of the ones I got online. Now you can tell I really have. No, that's 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 yeah. why I'm that's why I'm looking at you crazy because yeah. I saw that before I came no, over it's, here. Yeah, it's a lot different. But yeah, all right. Um, that was good. Look at you being smart. I try to be smart every now and then. Like once a month, I try to pull my smart. Well, you cap. met the quota today. Cool. Full moon out. <laughs> I hope it ain't. Is it a full moon? <laughs> so for this week in a moment in WTF, we're not really going to focus on someone who's doing it wrong. We're going to talk about somebody that's doing it right. And since I have Coach O with me, we're going to talk about Steve Kerr. So Steve Kerr is the Golden State head coach uh, that's basketball, and he's made the news several times, at least social media news, because he's been saying some profound things about our current political climate, uh, what's going on socially, with um, the athletes and black people and authority and all sorts of good things. And one thing that I recently just saw that I want to kind of touch on and see, get Coach O's opinion, is he blatantly stated that he's not saying anything that a black person had said. And the only reason he's getting press coverage is because he's white. So number one, he's a coach. And mind you, he's a coach of a team that is not hurting for money. But as a coach, you normally never speak out of turn in that manner. He has addressed every political, everything in the past two years in these interviews, and that's, you know, that's why they keep asking him the questions. So as a coach, how do you balance that place of telling the truth and being real about what's going on while keeping your job? That is, that is a profound question, and the higher you go up, the better the better uh, chance you have of keeping your job. But if I could if I could just say this, and I could probably cap this question with this answer, the more championships you win gives you the more freedom to say what you want to say. <laughs> so <laughs> ultimately, I mean, he keeps winning championships. He can keep talking as crazy as he want to talk, and it's going to be fine. And I don't – and when I say crazy – Nothing he said has been crazy. I really do. He's one of my favorite coaches. Um, he's one of my favorite white people of all time. Um, I mean, he's he's on the Mount Rushmore of my of favorite wh white, white people. people? Yeah. And there's like what two people? Yeah, I mean, I got a few. I got a few. Okay. Uh, definitely my boss right now. Uh, he's hey. he's number one on my on my favorites list. But uh, one of those deals where I mean, just getting back on topic, Steve Kerr. I mean, as a coach, like I. Honestly, I really want to be a bigger advocate for a lot of the things that's going on. And I have a very strong opinion about some of the stuff, especially with the NFL and the Kaepernick deal. And I'm going to just be straight up. That's why I love the NBA because the NBA, they went through a spell at one point that when they didn't want to embrace uh, African-American culture. 
Yeah. And they told Allen Iverson to stop wearing his baggy clothes yeah, and all that good I stuff. That. They went through that phase. And I think they realized, and they were smart enough to realize, that their culture is African-American culture. Basketball is African-American culture. No different than football. I don't care what nobody say. When the majority, when 60%, 70% of the athletes in your sport are African-American, your culture of, of that sport is a black culture. Yeah. There's no way around it. And so if you don't stand up for, for the rights of your athletes, I have no other choice but to look at you as an incompetent person, an incompetent boss, an incompetent leader, if you do not stand up for your athletes and their rights, even if they're getting paid millions of dollars. That's why, I mean, they have unions at pretty much every factory. They pay them too. Yeah. But you still have to have a check and balance system. And I just feel like the NFL has gotten way out of pocket because my homeboy, and they won't say homeboy, they said my friend, but their homeboy has basically told them, well, I have a problem with this. I need you to do something about it. And since you, we in the same tax bracket, I feel like you should be compelled to help me and not your employer. Well, buddy, if you really get to the nitty gritty, that's slavery. I don't care yeah. how it is. I don't care how, how you shape it. I don't care how you paint that. You put pit, uh, lipstick on a the pig, they said it's still a pig. So, <laughs> I... You know, and you know, I don't. You know, I I appreciate that question. I appreciate being able to answer this because in no other setting would I be able to answer a question like that. But I am not a racist at all. I love everybody. I'm a lover of people, and I I see good in people before I see bad in people. But I think some of the stuff that has been going on lately in America, folks ain't using their brains no more. Yes, that is. Ooh. Mm -hmm. That's it. I mean, it's just like skin color tells you how to treat somebody. Like, I don't think they realize how dumb that sounds. Yeah. Like, I look in the crayon box, and I don't like that color crayon, so I'm going to just throw it away. Like, really? Or just, the, or just the fact, simple biology, we're black people, and we come in all colors. Literally, every color you should be. We're represented at this table. We are. Y'all can't see us, but we are. We are three different shades of black. And you know, but I, like I said, I appreciate that question. Though. That's a great question. So, Steve Kerr, wherever you are, I know you're not listening, but if someone ever plays this for you, good job, and we appreciate what you're doing. We truly do because we need more um, white people that are willing to speak out to other white people about what's going on. Because we've been saying it forever, and nobody believes us. So, hopefully, if we get enough of you we can go ahead and start making some changes. Yeah, definitely. All right, so what is next for you? Uh, what is next? Uh, that's a good question. It's hard in this profession. Uh, I just want to keep my job. That's, I mean. <laughs> hey, that's, I admit. Hey, yeah, that's the biggest part. But uh, ultimately, you know, I'm not trying to necessarily be a college head coach or college coordinator. Uh, I do want to grow as an office line coach. And, you know, whether, wherever that takes me, that's good. Um, I have considered going back uh, to K through 12 to be an administrator. That is not right now. I can't do that right now mentally. Um, it's just too much going on. But I think ultimately some, at some point I may transition back into administration. Uh, but I, I'm enjoying coaching right now. All right, so how can the people reach you? Uh, 
Hey, several ways. Everybody and their mother has my number. Uh, no, we not we not giving it out. Okay. All right. Well, if you ask your next door neighbor, I guarantee you probably got it. <laughs> but <laughs> but I mean, reach me uh, on Twitter, um, Instagram, Coach underscore O. Um, I'm on Facebook. Probably won't answer or reply to you on Facebook. But um, I mean, any any way, if you see me in public, stop. I'm one of those dudes. I don't have. A, I've never met an enemy. I've never met a stranger, so if you meet me or uh, see me in public, I am, I am a laid-back, uh, enjoyable guy, and uh, you're more than welcome to come up and talk to me and strike a good conversation like this one. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me.